Welcome to Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Jeff Pickering. Around the table on Capital Conversations, you'll hear from the policy team of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, as well as featured guests from outside our D.C. office. Our conversations cover the policy debates and news shaping our world as we aim to connect our Christian theological motivations to political engagement in Washington. This week, uh, the State Department is hosting their second annual ministerial to advance religious freedom. This was an event that ERLC was really eager to see be started last year, Uh, and it was an amazing time in 2018 for the inaugural event. And this year's event, ongoing as we are recording here at the Leland House, is doubled in size. And I've even heard from some of the State Department that it's the largest event that the State Department has ever hosted. During all of this, ERLC is going to be hosting a side event titled Humanity Denied Religious Freedom in North Korea, where we'll be premiering a short film and having a panel discussion. And one of those panelists was kind enough to come by the Leland House a day before that event to sit down with me on Capital Conversations. And you may know this man because uh, he has quite the amazing story as he was the longest held U.S. prisoner in North Korea, Kenneth Bay. The Reverend Kenneth Bay is a Christian missionary and an American citizen who was arrested in the North Korean city of Rezan while leading an official tour group from China. He was originally sentenced to 15 years of hard labor, but was released after two years of imprisonment in a labor camp. Kenneth returned home on a flight with then-director of national intelligence, James Clapper. Reverend Bay founded the Nehemiah Global Initiative and chronicled his story in a book which we will link to in the show notes titled Not Forgotten. As I said, Kenneth uh, is joining us at our event tomorrow on Thursday on Capitol Hill, Humanity Denied, Religious Freedom in North Korea. Kenneth, thank you so much for coming by the Leland House and joining us on Capital Conversations today. Well, thank you for having me today. If you enjoy listening to Capital Conversations, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening to us on iTunes, would you consider dropping us a five-star rating and a review? This really will help others find our show. Our hope for this podcast is that the conversations around our table would foster a new way for Christians to engage in the public debates. If you know someone in your church, campus, or community who would enjoy this show, send them a link. We would love to welcome them around our table. In addition to iTunes, every episode of Capital Conversations can be found at ERLC.com and a lot of other podcast places too. Kenneth, it's a real honor to to meet you, uh, to speak with you here in, in our studio after having read many, many stories on you and uh, remembering when I was watching the news uh, a few years ago when you were on that on that tarmac back on U.S. soil after a, a really difficult, uh, I, I would even say a, a fascinating story of both heartbreak and, and hope with your uh, imprisonment in North Korea and the international negotiations that, that led to your uh, release. But, but before we talk about that particular story, I, I'd like to begin with your personal story. Uh, Kenneth, tell me about your family. Where, where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Seoul, South Korea. Um, my family moved to the United States when I was 16. But my dad was actually born in uh, north side of Korea back then. Uh, so our, uh, my mom 
were born in Southside. So they met in Seoul and and they got married. I was uh, born in 1968. But 1985, our family moved to the United States, okay. especially to California. Oh, okay. So you immigrated to California? That's correct. And then in adulthood, where in the U.S. Uh, was home for you? Uh, I went to college in Oregon. Uh, okay. I ended up in seminary in, in St. Louis. Uh, and then I grew up in different places. Um, and But eventually... Um, I was sent as a missionary to China in 2006. Okay. So I want to ask you a little bit more about your parents. I I think one thing that uh, people certainly in the States uh, often forget is that North Korea and South Korea are are young countries. Uh, It was one Korea, one peninsula. And so your dad was on the north side and and your mom was on the south side of of what is now divided by the demilitarized zone. But that had to have been uh, interesting, growing up in a family with a dad from the north side of the peninsula and a mom from the south side. Yes, uh, my dad's side, uh, from my dad's generation, that's about four or five generations uh, above, uh, before him, uh, they actually lived and settled in the north side, even though they are originally from south side. <laughs> but back then, uh, it was one, one, one country. And then and Japanese took over uh, for about 36 years. And when World War II was ended, um, and then, you know, as you know, that the two, two countries were created. So uh, during the war, our, my dad's side, um, because there were, you know, there were entering in the battle zone, so they have to move down south, thinking that uh, they will be going back home very soon. My great-grandmother was actually left behind, mm. um, you know, just holding the house. <laughs> and then uh, my great-great-grandfather uh, and my grandfather you know, never see wow. her again. And there was a tragedy that happened in 19, you know, 50s, 1951 right. at that time. Right. That's. I, I think it's so important for people to remember that because that was not that long ago, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the idea of families being separated because of a war is is heart wrenching, and and that, that's an important element to any time we're talking about uh, North Korea, South Korea, is to not forget the human stories involved in, in the in the family stories. You you grew up a Christian. When when did you come to faith in Christ? Uh, I think when I was about 13 or 14, I okay. came to Christ. Uh, my my uh, grandmother was very faithful Christian, so she's been taking me to church you know, ever since when I was little. But after I went into middle school, I ended up um, you know, finding faith in Christ at, at one of those the retreats that, that were organized by the church. Okay. So I became Christian, I think, when I'm probably at 13 or 14. Encouragement for all of our student pastors out there. <laughs> your, your ministry matters. Yes. Uh, I love that, that, uh, that your grandmother is an important part of, mm. of your faith story. It reminds me of the story of Timothy in the Gospels and, and uh, many people's stories. I have many friends, including our, our president, ERLC, here. His grandmother was instrumental in, in his uh, faith journey. That's Russell Moore. Um, and uh, you became a missionary. Uh, tell me a bit about that uh, call to uh, ministry, call to missions in your life. When when did you know that missions was a passion that you wanted to pursue? I know you said you uh, ended up in China, so tell us a little about that journey. Yeah, when I was in, still in Korea, I attended an, another retreat. At this retreat, the Lord spoke to me very clearly that you know you, I want you to be a shepherd. So. I knew that God is calling me to be in some sort of ministry, but after I came to state, I attended Campus Crusade uh, retreat, another retreat, and and this time the Dr. Uh, Bill Bright actually spoke about China uh, that one particular night, 
And then he said, who wants to be a missionary to China? And I felt like the Lord said, yeah, you are. <laughs> so Did I he said, have a plane ready? Was it like, <laughs> raise your hand and, and we're Yeah, he said to come to the podium. That was the first one that got on the stage. Okay. Um, and so I knew that God is calling me to be a pastor and or or missionaries or in overseas in China. Um, but not until uh, 2005, I, when I went to Kona, Hawaii to take school called Discipleship Training School, uh, we ended up uh, going to North, uh, China as a um, part of the mission trips. And this is when God uh, confirmed the calling that, yes, I have called you to be a missionary to China. So 2006, okay. I ended up going to China as missionaries. Okay. So that, that's what I was going to ask you. What, what did you do next? So that was within a year and you end up in China. What part of China? So I ended up in the northeast side of China. It's called a uh, place called, uh, the city called Dalian. Uh, it's about a city of about 7 million, pretty big city. Uh, <laughs> it's. I'm sorry I laugh. It's, yeah. it's being in the States. I mean, I, I'm from Texas, so big cities there, but it's nothing like the big cities in China. Yeah, but yeah, that even the city of 7 million, but doesn't, you know, it, it's still not in the first tier cities, right. the second tier. There's just so many people. Yeah, in, they have in more China. than 10 cities, over 10 million. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Uh, okay, so anyway, you, sorry to interrupt you. You you end up there, and I, w- I would assume being in the northeast side of China was not coincidence. You wanted to be near North Korea. Was that part uh, of no, the call? When I, uh, 2005, I, the, during our outreach, uh, we ended up visiting a place called Dandong, the city next to North Korea. I saw two North Korean people. Uh, we met together, and uh, one of them was about 30-some years old, and she came to Christ about three weeks ago. So I asked her, what can we pray for you? Give us your prayer request. And she said, no, don't pray for me. I got Jesus. What else do I need? Wow. There was a very stunning answer from someone who had nothing. It just came out of North Korea. He said, I found Jesus. And then another man was about 50 years old. Um, and then he came to Christ about a month ago. So I asked him, so how do you feel now since you're a Christian? He said, I did not have a hope to live my life, but now I found hope. Mm-hmm. His hope is Jesus. So I really realized that you know, I know God called me to be a missionary to China, but I'm meeting with North Korean people. Uh, and the, for the first time, and then I knew that God has also called me for not only for the people in China, but also for North Korea. Mm. So I ended up in the northeast side of China, and then uh, and then I was surrounded by some of the people that who's been working in the North Korean ministry for uh, many years. So I ended up working with them, and then God eventually opened the door for me to move to Dandong, the city next to North Korea, okay. and then the God opened the door for me to uh, get into North Korea. To help, to help uh, contextualize this for our listeners, the city Daidong, is that is that sort of like El Paso on like right on the border between the United States Pretty and Mexico? Much. Okay, so it's a border town, right? Yeah, there. it's about a million people okay. still. It's not a small city. This is China. But China was a, is a third tier city. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So um, you're so you're right there on the border. And then when did you first step across the border and and visit North Korea? It was 2010 uh, in September. Um, one of the missionaries invited me to go visit uh, her ministry in in North Korea in the place called Rasan, which is uh, next to China and Russia border area. Um, so. Uh, 2010, September, went into North Korea with the invitation of North Korean governments for just spending a couple of days and realized that it's possible to bring tourists, Western tourists into the country, that part of the country for the first time. They're just opening up the border. In 2010. 2010. And so uh, immediately I knew that that I'm supposed to bring people to North Korea to Hmm. pray, 
and worship and love the people as Christ loved us. So I ended up uh, asking people that would you join me to go to North Korea. From 2011 to 2012, I ended up bringing about uh, 300 people from 17 different nations around the world. Wow. And they went into North Korea 10, 15 people at a time uh, with over 23 different trips to that particular uh, the area and later on to Pyongyang and, and almost every other cities in North Korea that I was able to bring people there just to pray and worship and just mm-hmm. love the people as Christ loved us. So, so Kenneth, you said something there that's really interesting mm-hmm. to me, which is at an official invitation by the North Korean government. How, how does one receive such an invitation? Um, normally you don't. <laughs> you can, <there's laughs> which no, is why I'm asking. Yeah. yeah. But it was um, invitation, recommendation of the missionary who was already inside, working in and out. Okay. So she probably convinced her government, the, the North Korean government the counterpart, and said, we need to bring some people to look at what we are doing in order to get more support. Mm. So there was a kind of like um, that kind of uh, the, the, uh, connection was made. And mm-hmm. then I was given uh, a special invitation from North Korean governments. Okay. They didn't know who I was. At sure, the time. sure. So, so, so what did 23 trips, I mean, that is a lot of, uh, that's a lot of travel uh, across so the So I ended borders. up start a travel agency specializing in okay. North Korea so that um, the people in North Korea, knowing that, that we are actually Christians, tour company bringing people to North Korea. So that was understandable, acceptable, and I set it up the company so that we can actually bring people to North Korea. And what, what did a typical trip look like with these with these tourists what did you do uh, sometime that you know anywhere between three to four four night or something up, up to about 10 days uh, we visited different places in north korea uh, mostly i ask people when you go to north korea we're not just going there for tour and for fun but rather we want to get engaging in spiritual warfare this is spiritual mm-hmm. warfare we're going to be entering into so i ask people to prepare beforehand and I do orientation before that we actually go into North Korea. But mainly, they just I just said just treat the people as normal and just you know just love them and just and but you know, but spend time in prayer. So many of them uh, in their own uh, rooms or while we are traveling in the in a van or bus, they are actually singing and they are worshiping and they also. So it was more like they would. They, we brought worship to North Korea where there's no worship, mm-hmm. and we are actually praying, interceding for the people in North Korea. So someday that the wall will come down, we want to see North Korean people who will be freely able to worship. Right. Uh, we long for that day as well. Uh, did you have North Korean security officials with you the entire time that you're there? Right. That's yeah. They that did happens. have uh, one or two tour guide with us all the time. Okay. Plus. And maybe uh, uh, later on, the beginning, they didn't have any security personnel following us around. But after reali- then they realized that I'm actually bringing some Korean-speaking people. Uh, they're, non- they're not South Korean citizens, but maybe the Korean-American, Korean-Canadians are going mm-hmm. in. They felt like that they need to have somebody watching us. So I ended up having uh, security personnel uh, guiding us, make sure that we're not doing anything right. illegal or talking right. to people about you know, in faith in Jesus. Right, but then eventually there there was a turn, and uh, after two years in 2012, you were arrested. And I have to wonder, was that always a fear or maybe even just an expectation that you had? Because you mentioned you, you recognized that these trips, while they were tourism trips, it was spiritual warfare that you were doing. And the Apostle Paul <laughs> recognized that too, and, and he spent time in and out of prison. Was that, was that a concern of yours? 
I knew that anything can happen, uh, but for 18 trips that I made and during this one year period of time that I didn't feel any danger. So I knew that anything can happen in any trips. So I even told my family that, well, you need to pray for me because someday I might not come back. But that kind of came true. I just, uh, reason why I was arrested uh, was because I, ma I made a mistake by carrying in the portable computer hard drive into the country. Uh, there was a total mistake about a new computer. I was trying to transfer and file from old one to new one. Mm. But I left the new laptop at the hotel in China, but accidentally crossed the, uh, the border with my hard drive on it in my briefcase. But this hard drive contained Western media documentary film about North Korea. And this is how they got upset about it. They saw okay. little children begging on the street or something like that, and they were offended. They wanted to know why I brought such a hostile mm. documentary film to North Korea. And I said, I was just, it was just a pure mistake. I didn't even know that I had those I film in my uh, hard drive. I see. What was that experience like receiving a sentence of 15 years in a North Korean prison? See, they first said I was trying to overthrow the government of North Korea. And I say, how? And they said, through prayer and worship. You know, they brought intercessors in North Korea to pray against them. And then I realized that they really felt that the prayer uh, is a weapon against them. And they charged me with overthrowing the governments. And then I got 15 years of hard labor sentence. I was first American was sent to labor camp in North Korea. But during this time that God made sure that, um, you know, through a different way that he made sure that he was with me uh, all this time. So do not fear, I am with you. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be accomplished through this. So, you know, just knowing that, you know, he said, it, I'm in charge of all things. But even though there are some scary moments and there are scary tactics they put, you know, they put on and, you know, screaming and yelling to threatening me that, that I'll be shot tomorrow and at the square. Uh, but the, it was the Lord's presence was there, protection was there. So when I received 15 years of hard labor sentence, instead of feeling uh, insecure, I thought that maybe this is something I had to go through in order to see what God wants to, to do next. But I didn't think that I was actually going to be uh, sent to um, labor camp because no American was actually been, uh, was sent to a labor camp before. So by the time I got there, it was a little uh, it was shocking. You know, shocking. Yeah. Uh, how long between uh, your arrest and then being uh, sent to a labor camp? And, and what it's about the... seven months. Seven months. Yeah, it okay. took about seven were, months. Were you in isolation during that time? I was in total isolations. I was actually put on their safe house um, by security, National Security Bureau. Um, and then I was sentenced and then I was sent to labor camp afterwards. So okay. even at the labor camp, and this is only for uh, foreigners only, that's what they said. Uh, so there was about 30 to 40 different guards are guarding the place, but I was the only prisoner there for the whole time. That's really interesting. Uh, there were no other prisoners there, and, and you um, weren't with any North Koreans who were also in these no, labor camps. No, because I was isolated. I was in mm -hmm. my room, but I have to go out and work because of labor camp. And what, what kind of work did they so have the, you So first, manual, manual, most of manual farming work, and later on I had to carry a rock, you know, uh, digging the ground and carrying, the sh you know, shuffling the coal into the furnace and many different type of uh, hard labor that I have to endure 10 hours a day, six days, weeks. And Kenneth, I know because you've, uh, you've shared this in other interviews that you've done that you uh, suffered from some back pain during all of that. Oh, yeah. And so. that, that I, I know, 
I, I know a little bit about that. I'm, I'm, uh, I've had two back surgeries already mm. in, a, in my life. So I, I cannot, it, it made me empathize with, with you all the more. I, and did they have any medical care for you while you were there? Um, so when I was at the labor camp, then there was actually a doctor at the labor camp and then you know, come to check on me every once a week or so. Mm. But he said that, uh, you know, your medicine is just, if you if you work hard, and hard labor is your medicine, everything will be solved. So, which, you know, I said, well, so, you know, I did have diabetes, but it was gone after losing about 50 pounds in three months. <laughs> so, but I back pains, leg pains, and many different uh, things that happened during that time. So. Wow. Uh, three months later, actually sent me to um, the hospital uh, because of malnutrition. I lost about 50 pounds in three months. Um, and then I just passed out working on the field and they ended up putting me in the hospital for a few months. Um, so this, but at the hospital, the, pretty much they said rest is your best, best medicine. So I got some Tylenol and some pain medicine, but mm -hmm. mostly resting at the hospital. But after about three months later, so they put me back into uh, labor camps. I was going back and forth hospital to labor camp three times wow. during my detention in North Korea. What, what kept you going? How did you not lose hope? You know, the, on the third day of my detention, um, you know, they make me stand still in the middle of the room for a whole, uh, whole day long. Uh, and I have to stand still, absolutely still. Uh, and then something happened, like uh, I didn't have my back pain, leg pain. I wasn't tired, so I wasn't sleepy. But inside I was worried. I didn't know what's going to happen. I was panicking inside. And then I realized that, where, is, where are you, God? And suddenly... My hand, left hand was getting warm and I opened my palm and saw something sparkling like a gold dust. And then the warmth started to spread into my left arm. I had no idea what was happening. This is when the Lord spoke to me and said, Kenneth, Holy Spirit is holding your hand. Do not fear, I am with you. And there's something to be accomplished through this. So this was the third day of my detentions. Mm -hmm. um, but there's one thing that he didn't say is, uh, but you're gonna be here another 732 more days. <laughs> So I know when God promised, God always fulfilled his promise. This is his character. But the hardest part was waiting. That's the hardest part. Not knowing when that, that God will fulfill his promise. So I was complaining to God, Lord, that you said that you will be my savior. You will rescue me. But I'm in the prison. I'm suffering. I'm, my entire body is aching. I'm, I feel like I'm going to die anytime. And so uh, how long would the suffering will last? And this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, Kenneth, even suffering is beneficial for you. And I didn't like his answer. But he said, through suffering, um, there is something to you. You will gain something out of that. And then I realized that he said, but my grace is more than enough for you. And he said, I am with you, Kenneth. So through suffering, Lord um, helped me to focusing on him. Uh, at all time and trusting in Him and knowing that you know, help is coming, but I, the only thing I can do is just hold on to His promise and hold on to His character and nature. As a one time, there's one funny story I have to share because the one time I was thinking about food when I was hungry in a prison and I was thinking about uh, Hawaiian chocolate with Macanavian nut. That was something I, wanted, I was craving the most. Okay. Second thing was Kit Kat. Third thing was beef jerky from Costco. And then the fourth thing was protein bar. Fifth thing was mixed nut. I was thinking about it in one, one Sunday afternoon, just smiling, but I didn't pray or anything like that. But three months later, when I was in the hospital, my mom uh, 
came to visit me from Seattle, Washington. It was the first time they allowed American prisoner to be uh, greeted with, you know, the family members. So we had an emotional reunion. Oh, the I'm second sure. day she came to see me. Then she said she brought me something. She opened her bag. The first thing she took out was Hawaiian chocolate with McKenvian nut. Amazing. Second thing was Kit Kat. Third thing was beef jerky from Costco. Fourth thing was protein bar. Fifth thing was mixed nut. I didn't pray. I didn't call my mom. <laughs> I didn't write to her. But God wow. did not forget. Right. It was almost like a he remembered. Yeah. So this is a moment, like moment sometime. Mm-hmm. And I was about to lose my hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was like, I, I think I'm done with this. Yeah, but That's amazing. More and more, Lord reminded me that, no, no, I am here with you. There's something to be accomplished. Therefore, hang in there. Okay, so what, you, you mentioned your mom came to visit you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when was the first time you had contact uh, with family after being uh, arrested? About maybe a month and a half later that I was able to write letters to okay. my uh, And receive my, letters? Yeah, receive letters. And what was happening back home with your family during the um, As you can imagine, it was just, they thought that it was, a, it was, it was caused by misunderstanding. That, that, you know, I was actually doing pretty well, uh, building relationships with them for the like, last several years. So I didn't think that I was going to be staying there longer. And, you know, my family is hoping for the same, but realized that I'm, I was being charged mm-hmm. and I'm actually uh, in the prosecutor's office now and they're starting to, you know, to worry, and they're writing a letter to let me know that the U.S. government is every, doing everything possible trying mm. to get me home. Mm. So there are a lot of encouragement letters, you know, was um, you know, in the you know, the, the, my mom, my sister, and also my wife, you mm. know, and then my kids, and then on, they keep sending letters. Mm. So most of the time, the family letters, the letters that was written, that was able to receive that after about two or three weeks after it was written, actually. Um, because it was all done by the email form. And then the Swedish embassy in Pyongyang, they received it and printed it out and handed it over to North Korean counterpart. And, Interesting. and this is how they deliver the, any uh, new letters, maybe once a week or something like that. Wow. And you said that um, you felt that the Lord was impressing upon you that you had a purpose in being there. Mm-hmm. What was that purpose? That was something that I was asking the Lord. Um, but through the suffering that I was enduring, and then I realized that I started to have um, more connection in a way with, you know, it's almost like a, our God's heart mm. toward to the people in North Korea. Because mm. I, I was suffering for two years, but I realized that people in North Korea has been suffering for more than 70 years. My uh, freedom was limited. And, but their freedom is limited for her entire life. And I realized that God is, you know, God's a father's heart waiting for a prodigal son to come home. And I realized that that I was there after I came home uh, in, in 2014, being there for 735 days. Lord finally uh, spoke to me and said, you know how many people prayed for you, remembered you when you were in North Korea? And they have not forgot about you, and I have not forgot, uh, forgotten you. And then he said, but I have not forgotten the 25 million people in North Korea who never even heard the name Jesus before. So he said, uh, go home and tell the people what I've done for you. And then also tell all those people who pray for you, tell them now pray for people in North Korea because they remember me as they pray that I was able to come home. But Lord is going to use their prayer to bring 25 million people to come home mm. and restore them and rebuild their life once again. So 
Were you I didn't to... realize my purpose until when I actually got home. Sure. And this is when Lo reminded me that I put you there for the reason for two years. Mm. But now I'm going around the world, uh, visiting more than 17 countries, and I speak about my experience, tell, asking people, as you remember me, please pray for them. Because now I'm uh, finding that every meetings, every uh, speak engagement I speak in, uh, in different places around the world, somebody will come up to me and say, Kenneth, I remember you. I pray for you. I was in El Salvador in last year. Nine-year-old uh, boy came to me and say, Pastor, if, when I was five, I prayed for you for two years. You know, there's a little village, the kids that don't even speak English. <laughs> it's amazing. And this is something I'm finding from all over the world that people actually did pray, did remember oh, me. Yeah. And this is why now I am, and you know, become more advocate for wow. the people in North Korea now. That's wonderful. I, I mean, I, I remember that. I remember when your story made made headline news. I remember when uh, CNN, I believe it was their uh, correspondent, Will Ripley, yes. was able to do an interview with you. That's right. Uh, I believe you had a press conference at one point. Uh, the world was watching. And, uh, and this is just another good reminder uh, that there are Christians all around the world who are suffering from horrific religious persecution, but those who were missionaries such as yourself and those who, as you said, like North Koreans, are suffering in their own home country and have never experienced that freedom. Uh, and so this is a this is a great reminder uh, to pray for them. One more question about your time in imprisonment, and then I want you to share uh, a bit more about uh, your work with the Nehemiah Global Initiative in your book, Not Forgotten. Uh, but before we go there... Did you did you ever have any conversations with your guards or the medical staff uh, or or anybody else where you were able to pray for the North Koreans that you had interaction with while you were uh, in prison? You know, for fir- first year that I um, I was just thinking about myself because I, I I'm praying every day and say, Lord save me, O oh Lord. That was my prayer. But there were about 30 to 40 guards and you know, hospital staff and people who were working at the uh, foreign, foreign affair. And, you know, there were you know, there were a lot of interaction with them, but I only saw them as oppressor. People are just there to um, guard me um, in a way. But um, they, I found that about a year being there, the Lord, um, I realized that um, I was still there. And then U.S. government was supposed to send uh, a special envoy to try to get me home, but it was but they decided to reject the envoy. Mm-hmm. A week later, the President Obama actually sent someone from White House to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And they let me speak to him for about five minutes. But he pretty much just say, I'm sorry, I cannot take you home. So it was failed missions. And then my mom sent me the letter and said, Kenneth, you need a faith like Daniel's three friends now. And our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, you need that kind of faith. So I realized that I was there uh, and not able to go home and I was pondering and, Lord, do you want me to stay here? Is this what you will? Uh, and then finally I nailed down my hospital bed and I pray, Lord, you know my heart. I want to go home, but not my will, but your will be done. I give up my right to go home. Use me, O Lord. And then uh, God uh, reminded me and said, Kenneth, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your wife and your ministries and your children's? Mm. And then finally say yes, not knowing that you know my love was not that great. But the Lord said, feed my sheep, take care of my lamb. You, you are not here as a prisoner, but you are here as my son, representing my kingdom. You are my shepherd, you are my missionaries. And then the Lord started to open the door. And the one no, they normally call me my prison number 103. Mm. But after the prayer, and the, use me, O Lord, 
and Lord starting to open the door. One by one, they come to me and say, Pastor, can I talk to you? Wow. And then they're talking about their family problems, wow. marriage issues. I'm doing marriage counseling, premarital counseling, family counseling. And one guy is, you know, came to ask me, you know, Pastor, if I believe in God like you, what do I have to pay? to your church. You're talking about the price. <laughs> and then the other guy was saying that if I believe in God like you, then what do I get? And what's the benefit? So I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth talking with them. And finally, one young man, after being there for two years, and he asked me, Pastor, you say God is, God is real. Then how come you're still here? No one stayed this long before. How do you explain that? And, and I said, uh, well, then maybe God has different plan. Without me, how are you going to hear about God or anything from outside? And he said, it's true. I never heard anything like this before in my whole life. See, mm -hmm. the thing is, you know, and I was being questioned in the first month. One investigator asked me, so I heard about God before, but never heard about Jesus before. Tell me where does Jesus live, in Korea or China? See, this guy was born in Pyongyang, the capital city, went to college. He worked for National Security Bureau. He said he never heard the name Jesus before. Um, so this is a reality of living in uh, in North Korea. Right. Yeah. So this is a kind of conversation that that I was able to have with the guard and staff mm, wow. and realizing that God put me there for the reason. Yeah. So you uh, were eventually released mm -hmm. at the time director of national intelligence James Clapper was sent as a as a representative of President Obama. I know that the president wrote a brief letter to Chairman Kim. Uh, you you were I, I assume taken from the from uh, the camp where you were at. Uh, you were on a plane. You landed on American soil. What were you feeling when when all of that happened and you realized I'm coming home? It was felt unreal. Um, I didn't know until the last minutes. Uh, they didn't tell me that the U.S. envoy came. Um, it was just supposed to be an interview, another interview I was supposed to do. And finally, I realized that the U.S. envoy didn't come. And then, um, and then I was on the plane going home. Uh, but um, uh, there was Friday, Saturday, the November 8th, that when I came home, but November 3rd, on Monday, I woke up early morning. God spoke to me and said, you know, open your Bible to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 20. So I have no idea what that was. The NIV version of my Bible. I opened my Bible and saw, I'll bring you home. There was a Monday and then Friday, U.S. Envoy came. Saturday, I was on the way home. I told the people, including the Allison Hooker, who was you know who was in the Korean desk in NSC here now. She was one of the person that came to get me home. And then, and then I told her that actually, Lord spoke to me on Monday. You're gonna bring me home. And they were so surprised. And she said, "We left Washington D.C. White House November 3rd, Monday." So I realized that God's heart and God's presence was all along with me. Right. So when I first finally landed in the airport, I saw my mom coming over. Amazing. It was just when then I realized that I'm finally home, as mm. God promised. Mm. He kept His promise. Yes. That's wonderful, Kenneth. Thank mm. you. Thank you so much for sharing mm. about your story. Um, you you've moved back uh, to the Korean Peninsula. You're you're now living in Seoul. Yes. Uh, tell us about what you're doing there. Tell us about uh, the Nehemiah Global Initiative. Yes, I studied on the Nehemiah Global Initiative in U.S. and now our headquarters is in South Korea. Um, now I'm working with North Korean refugees who are coming over to South Korea because more than about 1,300 to 1,500 
refugees ended up in South Korea from North Korea every year nowadays. Um, then realized that the U.S. government uh, spent time and many effort by many people in you know, state departments and everywhere, and then tried to get me home for two years. And then realized that uh, there are defectors, there are refugees coming out from North Korea to China. But who will stand with them? Who will remember them? Who will help them? So I realized that is anything I can do. Uh, but so that, then I'm starting to uh, get involved in the rescue operations of people from North Korea to come into China, to, to South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we are helping the people to uh, come to South Korea and to restore their life in South Korea. And that help them to readjust and then re- begin their life in South Korea. I realized that many of them have no idea, no clear idea about Jesus and then faith in God, but through the rescue of them, through visitations, and they were starting to hear about the Lord for the first time. And then now it's starting to become a ministry. So we are now engaging in uh, rebuilding, empowering uh, work for North Korean refugees and then teens are coming in. And now they're uh, you know, getting to know the Lord and uh, really finding a purpose. Uh, one of the things that we do at the Nehemiah Global Initiative is we started a one million prayer petition campaign, Nehemiah one million prayer petition campaign. Word, uh, the, the name Nehemiah came from obviously from Bible, how Nehemiah prayed for his people, his compassion for his people. Later on, God used him to rebuild the wall, but it wasn't just about rebuilding the wall, but the worship was restored, people was restored, and then saw reformation and then a revival took place in Jerusalem. So I wanted to see that uh, North and South have been divided for 70 years. People are you know, leaving North Korea because they're starving, they just couldn't stay anymore. And then we are just asking people around the world, would you remember 25 million people who never heard the name Jesus before, as you remember me when I was in prison in North Korea? Mm. So now um, about more than 4,700 people from 63 different countries have signed up to be a Nehemiah prayer warrior instead of rebuilding the actual wall and say, can we rebuild life together, restore mm-hmm. life together so they can know the Lord. So now we are uh, doing the prayer petition campaign. Wonderful. So people can go to pray4nk.org to uh, sign up the, for the campaign. Uh, you know, So now we are um, asking people around the world to do that. At the same time, we're also preparing for North Korea when it's open, uh, mm-hmm. when two countries be united. We want to see the people in North Korea to be able to hear about the Lord and about and having the Bible in their hand. So we have something called One Million Bible Campaigns. We are trying to get uh, produce one million Bible and then deliver to one million household in Pyongyang. Uh, every single home within 30 days of um, North Korea being opened up. So this is something I'm asking people around the world to say, would you partner with us to restore people's life and rescuing them and also preparing the Bible, preparing for another revival will take place in the, you know, the Pyongyang once known to be the Jerusalem the Far East mm-hmm. 100 years ago. Well, Kenneth, that is wonderful work. I, I'm uh, so thankful for you as my brother in Christ. I'm thankful that you stopped by our studio today and that you'll be a part of our event to share these stories uh, tomorrow here in Washington, D.C. Uh, and thankful for the work that you're doing and remembering how your imprisonment uh 
is now God has purposed it to uh, to help you lead all of us to remember um, the the sort of conscience imprisonment uh, that the people of North Korea are in and to be praying for them uh, and to be praying for that day when they too will be free. Kenneth, thank you so much for, for joining us on Capital Conversations. Kenneth's book is Not Forgotten, The True Story of My Imprisonment in North Korea. And his organization uh, is the Nehemiah Global Initiative. And to sign up for the prayer petition campaign, you go to pray, the number 4nk.org. We will link to all of these online in the show notes. Kenneth, thanks again. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. Thanks to our production team, and thanks also to you for joining us today. Resources from this conversation are available at ERLC.com to equip you and your church.